Every Arizona homeowner's best friend for 30 years. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the House. It's your Saturday morning wake-up call. From my house to yours. Good morning, y'all. It's your Saturday morning happy place. Ain't got nothing but my name. And I'm the only man I know to blame, but I'm living. What an easy way to wake up. You singing today? Maybe not such an easy one. I'll be easy on the listeners this morning. I'll save you my singing. But I sure hope you're tapping your toe. Laying there with the alarm going off. A little bedhead going on. Climbing out underneath the sheets. It's our job every Saturday morning to get Arizona homeowners up and going good morning we have got about 10 hours of information packed into a four-hour show this morning i hope you'll stay tuned and grab every minute of it it's going to be a blockbuster and we're always going to start it with a blockbusting guest and we've got on the line this morning a geologist and i don't know if i can say this next word right paleontologist I think that's right. Paleontologist. I don't I don't try and handle many six syllable words very often. <laughs> so so you got it pronounced right. What is it? Studies fossils in the ground that have been we were there. To that's your Romy? Space you know, you don't you don't get anything by it. I know, right? You don't get <laughs> he always anything. goes to the next level. You He's just never always get spinning anything. those wheels. So we found a geologist and a paleontologist. Who works at Lowell Observatory? Let's bring him into the conversation and see how how he can explain that background and current position. I want to introduce y'all to Kevin Schlinder, the historian for Lowell Observatory. Mr. Kevin, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Hey, good morning. It's great to talk with you guys. Yeah. So we were just spending a couple minutes. Uh, running through your background, you want to explain to our listeners how you end up in an observatory with the training you've got? Well, yeah, that, that background is a little hazy now because <laughs> it's been more than a few years. <laughs> but I, I, um, I grew up in Ohio where there's rocks and fossils lying around everywhere, so that's what I wanted to study in college. So I studied geology over in Ohio and specialized in fossils because I just loved them so much. And so then I worked in Florida for several years at uh, a museum there. And then when I moved to Arizona, I stopped looking down and started looking up because I started working at Lowell Observatory um, where we study astronomy, you know, space and planets and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, it's all science. It's just um, kind of looking in a different direction. It's looking um, in a different uh, direction. And, you know, as, yeah. a, as a geologist, uh, you can't not want to get to Arizona one way or another sooner or later, right? Oh, geo- you know, Arizona is a large classroom for geology. But, it, you know, I shouldn't say classroom. 
it's more than that. There, you know, there's so much here. Of course, the Grand Canyon, you know, the Red Rocks of Sedona. Um, there's, you know, all different ages of rocks, lots of fossils, lots of great um, geologic features that people come here just to take pictures of them, even if you don't know anything about geology. <laughs> you know, we're all geologists, sort of, because we notice the rocks and the, and and the beauty of them. Just the the wonder of it all, and then and then you then you uh, set up your tent up on the Coconino Plateau, and and, <laughs> right. and and you and you crawl outside your tent and you just roll your hands back behind your head, look up, and 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 the wonder of it all. And you know that's uh, Arizona is so I, I can't say unique, but it, it's certainly one of the things that stands out is not only the beauty of of so much of the terrain, but the nice skies. We have really dark skies. Um, Flagstaff, back in the day, back in the 1800s when it was um, first founded, was nicknamed the Skylight City because of the brilliance of the stars at night. And and then it's, it's kind of a neat thing because that happens to be where Percival Lowell set up his observatory in 1894. And through the years, Flagstaff in the 1950s got the world's first legislation controlling light pollution. Um, and in 2001, Flagstaff was named the first international dark sky city, and Sedona has that designation now in other areas. And so so for years, Arizona has not only had these dark skies, but the people living here has recognized that and wants to maintain that for generations to come. The incredible thing about Lowell Observatory, we have other observatories in Arizona, and you've got to get on a two-lane road, wind your way up long mountains. They're located miles away from cities, and there's Lowell Observatory practically in downtown Flagstaff. It really is. You know, when when, um, Percival Lowell set his observatory up here in 1894, he sent an assistant to Arizona and he went to Tombstone, Tucson, Tempe, Prescott, different areas. He tested the skies for astronomy, and they ended up in Flagstaff. And at the time, there was no electricity here, um, dark skies, and it was a great location. And and um, through the years, as the community grew, the observatory has stayed here. You know, now our research telescopes are outside of town, um, where it's you know the skies are are even darker. But but right in town, Lowell, the historic site where all of our astronomers still you know work, and our outreach program and everything, yeah, it's a it's a mile west of downtown, and so it's so easy to get to, and and it's convenient to where you don't have to devote half a day just to drive to get there. It's it's just a real easy place to get to, and and you know really great views from up here on what's called Mars Hill. And it's an incredible learning laboratory. It's it's a fascinating facility, and we're here highlighting it for the sake of you Arizonans who haven't taken the time to get there. Tell us a little bit about what Percival's objective was of of building. I understood he was he he, he one of his interests was finding life. Right, you know Percival Lowell. He came from a very wealthy family. One of the Brahmin families of Boston, kind of a leader, leading family in the community. His, um, the city of Lowell, Massachusetts, is named after his family. His brother was president of Harvard 24, for 24 years. One of his sisters married a relative of Theodore Roosevelt. Another sister um, was Amy Lowell, the, the um, prize-winning poet. 
And so the family, it was expected you did something really important with your life. And so Percival Lowell, when he was young, after college, he worked at the family business for several years, but he really was kind of a wanderlust and, and went overseas, spent several years in Korea and Japan, and really was one of the first Westerners to immerse himself in their culture and wrote several books based on these experiences. Um, and and to, that really triggered this um, kind of passion for exploring, um, whether it's people or the universe or whatever. And so in the 1890s, when he returned back to the United States, um, he really got interested in astronomy, something he always had followed. But there was a, an Italian astronomer who was retiring. Um, his name was Giovanni Scaparelli. And in 1877, Scaparelli had detected these features on Mars he called Canali, which um, Lowell and others interpreted to mean some, something that was not natural. They were so straight, they must have been built by some sort of intelligent life, Lowell thought. And, and this really excited him. And so that's what ignited him to start his observatory, to search for Mars, search Mars and prove the existence of, of intelligent life there. And, how and he... of course, he never did find that intelligent life, but um, what he did was lay the groundwork so much for so much other work. Um, you know, people wanting scientists want to prove or disprove his theories um, indirectly. He had a lot to do with science fiction because, um, you know, people wrote what was hot news items of the time. So you have the H.G. Wells and Edgar Rice Burroughs writing about Martians. Sure. Um, and then Lowell started looking for a planet, which he didn't find, um, but it led to the discovery of Pluto here in Flagstaff at in 1930. Um, and so, so much of what Lowell did, you know, we kind of laugh at some of the ideas of the canals and, you know, Martians walking around or whatever. But but what he did was was lay this legacy that's that's um, much more than he could he could ever have imagined. I think. Well, I want to talk a little bit about y'all's outreach program, and I want to give you the opportunity to share with us what you'd like to share. But I'd like to give you a little word quiz here in our final minute before we have to take a little break. What okay. is on your website? I pulled some some terms. What is an extra galactic star formation? Um, well, extra galactic means um, in other galaxies outside of our galaxy and then in in the star formation is just stars being formed so it's it's um it's a study that astronomers carry out of looking at stars being formed in other galaxies besides the milky way and when you think about that it's you know when we look up at night on dark skies you can see a couple thousand stars and all those stars for the most part are points of light even though they're the size of sun or a bigger, right. they're points of light. We're looking at distant galaxies that we can't even see with our naked eye and trying to find these points of light and see them being formed. It's remarkable the technology required to see stuff that far away and that small. You're, you're joining us this morning at Rosie on the House, visiting with Kevin Schlender, the historian for Lowell Observatory, and I don't know that you, Arizona homeowners, are fully aware 
of all the accomplishments that they've been able to accomplish right there in our own little Flagstaff Backyard Observatory. When we get back, we'll talk more about that as well as their outreach program, in particular to junior astronomers and even down to preschoolers. They've got programs for all of them. We'll be right back. I'm a space cowboy, I'm sure you know where it's at, yeah, 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 yeah. Is that you, babe? Space cowboy. I've been enamored with space since my parents, as a young kid, took me to the Johnson Space Center. It's just like this place I'd like to go. I just don't like small places, so I'd never, I'd never make it in one of them capsules. Let's bring Kevin back into the conversation. We've got Kevin Schlender, the historian for the Lowell Observatory. We're visiting and we're talking about the big words on their website. Kevin, again, I want to thank you for taking the time this Saturday morning to join us and the Arizona homeowners at Rosie on the House. Well, thanks for having us, and uh, good good music choice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we covered extragalactic star formation. What's an astrophysical ice laboratory? Um, well, you know, if we're going to study things in space, um, it's nice to have in the laboratory to be able to recreate the, the conditions. And so at Northern Arizona University, um, they have a lab there that, that one of our astronomers, Will Grundy, works at. Um, actually, a couple of them. Jennifer Hanley is another one, and they study ices in the outer solar system, um, you know, Pluto and, and even further. And so in this laboratory, they recreate the very cold conditions to where they can study in a lab setting what different ices do, depending on what the ices are made of. I mean, we're used to water ice, but, you know, el different elements freeze um, at different temperatures and everything. So by understanding in the laboratory how these how these ices work, that helps them interpret um, observations they make of those distant planets. Interesting. And what is an astro alert? Um, an astro alert. <laughs> that sounds is scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, right. It's it's a, it's actually a friendly thing. It's a news bulletin. You know, just kind of some fun um, story about astronomy that our deputy director for. For science, Michael West writes. Michael is a gifted writer who, um, when he's not doing research, he he writes books and articles for newspapers and magazines. And, and really, um, it's really fun to read because he one of the things that he does is not just look at the facts and figures of astronomy, but kind of put it in context with how does that affect us as humans? You know, looking at some of the bigger pictures like you know, that we all have asked somewhere along the way, are we alone in the universe? And what would it mean to find, you know, another planet that's like Earth? And, um, you know, how, how does music and astronomy, how do they overlap? Um, you know, just, just things that, that, that we ask as humans, that, you know, that kind of humanity side of, of us. And so, so Astro Alerts captures a lot of that kind of different look at things. I, and I love y'all's outreach program. They have Lowell Observatory Camp for Kids. Locke, yesterday, yep. yesterday, you could have had your kid in a hour and a half presentation on 
It was Newton's law, right? Yeah. Newton's law, force and motion. Three mm-hmm. to five-year-old presentation on Newton's law. Now, how cool is that? Kevin, it does stay so full that you would want to t- make reservations and, I mean, do Right. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, the outreach goes back, if I can go back just a little bit, to Percival Lowell, our founder. And, he's, you know, he wanted to study Mars and wanted to study the solar system. But he was also a, a writer, a gifted writer and, and very popular speaker. And he said um, to set forth science in a popular, that is, in a generally understandable form, is as obligatory as to present it in a more technical manner. If people are to benefit from it, it must be expressed to their comprehension. So, you know, what's the point of doing research unless you share it with the public at large? And that's one of the basic missions of Lowell Observatory is to carry out research and to share it. And what we found through the years is, you know, um, students often get astronomy in in classrooms, for instance, third grade or fifth grade or whatever. Um, But kids are sponges and three years old and four and five years old before they even get to, you know, kindergarten, that's when they're learning so much um, basic information about life and, you know, the universe around them. Um, And, and historically we don't think about teaching astrophysics. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm using a bigger word, but you know, (laughs) astronomy or technical stuff to kids that age, but it's amazing you know, I hate to use the word dummy down. It's more of making it appropriate for their age range. And so, you know, for those for those LOCKS programs, we have the kids with their parents. It's it's a really neat opportunity to do a learning experience with, with kids that age. And they're so much fun. They're hands-on activities, but with this um, different science theme. And they're really popular because, you know, we're, we're seeing what a what an impact – this kind of activity can have at that age. So, you know, they're not sitting in a classroom with computers and wearing um, nerd glasses and stuff like that. It's, you know, showing the science is, is so much fun. It's, it's just exploring and understanding the universe around them and doing it in a, in a fun way that also helps, you know, the kids and their parents or grandparents um, bond in a really fun experience. Yeah, and then you take them from the observatory camp for kids, and then you move them into a junior astronomer program as well. Folks, we're here with Kevin Schlinder, the historian for Lowell Observatory. We're going to be back, and we're going to be talking about what your opportunities are as an adult or as a family to get up to the observatory and do some observing. Good morning, y'all, and welcome to my house. It's Rosie on the house. With our head in the stars this morning with special guest Kevin Schlender, the historian for the Lowell Observatory, our backyard observatory located right in, virtually right in downtown Flagstaff. If you haven't been there, that's like saying you haven't been to the Grand Canyon. It just absolutely floors me when I start talking to people who have lived in Arizona for three years. 5, 9, 12, 15, 20 years, and have never driven to the Grand Canyon. Well, not getting to Lowell Observatory is about equally as bad. 
Kevin, again, we want to thank you for taking time out of your Saturday morning and joining us here at Rosie on the House. I'm having a great time. Yeah. Are you are you Lowell Observatory's only staff geologist and paleontologist? Well, I I mean I I guess technically that's not my position. So, <laughs> but but we have other we have some other staff who have geology backgrounds. I think I, because um you know like like one of our astronomers, Will Grundy. Um, well, technically, I, I guess on paper his title might be astronomer. He considers himself more a planetary scientist, meaning he, he's studying the geology of other planets. Um, and so, you know, we think about astronomy and you're looking through a telescope and looking at the light and stuff like that. But, you know, with spacecraft and, and the technology we now have, we're able to study the rocks and other features of other planets. And so you really have to have that background in geology and chemistry, just like you would do to study, you know, study the Earth. Absolutely fascinating. We've talked a little bit about y'all's outreach program to the to the toddlers. You start as young programs as young as three to five years old. Then you go into the junior astronomers, and then you've got programs available for the adults too. Tell me what the Space Guard Academy is. Well, Space Guard Academy is based on one of the um, research programs we have here, and that's studying asteroids. And really, going back to the beginning of the observatory, different astronomers have have studied asteroids. Um, for for years, we had a program looking for Earth approaching asteroids, the you know quote unquote killer asteroids that could possibly impact Earth someday. And today, we have um, one of our scientists, um, Nick Moskovitz, and he studies asteroids, and it's really neat. You know, we think about science continues to advance with the advance of technology. Um, you know, better telescopes let you see into the distance more and stuff like that. But um, Nick has this setup. He's got an array of off-the-shelf cameras that he has set up on the roof of one of the buildings up here at Lowell. And he's setting these arrays up in different areas. One, one actually is going to be um, down at Emory Riddle on the roof of one of their buildings. Okay. And then at some other locations. And all these these little off-the-shelf cameras do is look at the sky um, every night and record any, you know, shooting stars um, and anything weird. And so that, you know, if somebody reports one of those really bright, what's, what some people call a bolide, a really big, bright shooting star, we can go back to those cameras and they can, they can um, figure out the trajectory of those objects. And then if they didn't burn up, Based on those observations, they can go and look for whatever pieces might be left. I mean, it was it <laughs> so was it's really it, it you was know, it's really a, a neat thing in using just really basic technology. It, it was so Space Guard Academy kind of captures some of that search for asteroids and what asteroids are and um, how we study them, and and it allows allows people of all ages to kind of become a member of the academy and 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 um, you know you. You go through some fun computer um, graphics and stuff, and you get qualified to be a member of the academy. And, of course, you're learning along the way in a fun way. Well, it, it wasn't that long ago that we had an asteroid kind of come in over Flagstaff heading towards Safford Thatcher area that kind of ex- exploded did we ever recover any of the material from any that was just within the last six months wasn't it right yeah they didn't recover any but they were they were um using those 
all sky cameras um, to look at that to see if they could pinpoint, you know, if, you know, you don't know for sure if it burned up all the way, but, you know, sometimes based on the brightness and the, you know, that indicates the size and you can kind of infer if you expect it to have burned up all the way. Cause most, most of the things, if you think about seeing a shooting star, 99% of them are created by something the size of a grain of sand that's burning up in our atmosphere and they, it burns up before it hits the ground. But then you get, you do get, you know, pieces that, you know, fist size or basketball size. I don't know, something like once a month, Earth gets hit by a basketball-sized piece of rock. Yeah, um, I mean, you meet your you know, meteor crater the right there. Two-thirds of the Earth is covered with ocean. Most of them yeah. are landing in the ocean. And then you've got meteor crater right there just east of where you are. And I mean, what 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 was I, the size of that? But It was about the size of a refrigerator, I think, as I, if I well, remember actually right. Actually, bigger. The meteor crater is about three-quarters of a mile across. It's the best preserved impact crater, not in Arizona or the United States, but in the world. It's yeah. the best preserved. So scientists for years have come here to study it. Um, and it was it was created by something the size of about a 747. Oh, it was. It okay. okay. Surface, it, is a, know, it is amazing to stand on the side yeah, it's and look a, down. It's, it's impressive. Now, when we talk about these uh, uh, Earth-approaching objects and, and near misses and you know, mm-hmm. in, in galactical frame of reference, what's a near miss? A near miss, I, I you know, I don't have the the you know exact distance offhand, but it's something that comes generally within um, you know, like the orbit of the moon, say, okay. you know, that that kind of scale thing. So, you know, if something the closest it gets is to where Pluto is, that's not considered near, but something, you know. Something as close as the moon is, you know, that's like close by. It's, you know, and then the moon is 240,000 miles away. So in in the scales of day-to-day life, that's a long ways. In the scale of the universe, um, that's a small distance. Pretty close. Kevin, what's if, if as an adult, if you want to come up and take a class or do a tour or mm-hmm. something, what is the largest telescope that uh, the public would have access to? Because I know, don't y'all have um, the fifth largest in the sure. world? Or in right the- now, the, the largest telescope that um, visitors can look through is the one, as you're driving in Flagstaff, you see this big white dome on the side of the hill. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the telescope. It's the one built in 1896. And it's... Um, when we talk about the size of telescopes, we astronomers talk about the diameter of it because the wider it is, the more light you can gather. So this is a, a 24-inch diameter telescope. Um, but for the rest of us who don't care about the diameter but want to just know how big that old telescope is, um, it's two feet across, 24 inches, and 32 feet long. So it's a it's a it's cool. I yeah. mean, you go inside this building and you know, it feels like you're in the. You've walked into the middle of a Jules Verne novel. The, you know, the <laughs> walls are this reddish wood, and there's this long telescope tube, and it's pointing out, you know, doors that are unveiling the mm-hmm. the universe above, and it's just a, you know, it, it even before you look through the telescope, just going in that building, you know, it's neat because quite often visitors go in there and they start whispering, because it just <laughs> feels like. A special place. Nobody's told them to. It's just it just you know, demands to, that. Yeah, you know, you go to the Vietnam War Memorial in D.C. As you get closer, you just start whispering, and mm-hmm. then you realize it. It's the same thing with this telescope. It's just 
an inspiring thing to be just stand in his presence. Well, Kevin, we've teased everybody to get up to Flagstaff and take the time to run up the short drive to Mars Hill, get in and see Lowell Observatory. What are y'all's hours of operation? Um, well, our hours are pretty easy. We're open every day of the year except for some major holidays. And um, Monday through Saturday, we're open till ten from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. And on Sundays, we close at 5 o'clock, so 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. So they're pretty standard throughout the year. And we have, you know, the regular tours and telescope viewings at night and other programs. And then, like you were mentioning, we also have a lot of special events. Um, for instance, on January 31st, um, <laughs> we'll be talking about the, this eclipse that's going to happen. And it's, it's kind of neat because it's, it's a full moon, but it's also one of the moon, full moons that's kind of closer to Earth than others. So, so it's been called a super moon super because it looks moon. a little bit brighter. And it's also a blue moon because it's the second full moon of the month. And it's also going to be a total lunar eclipse. And so which some, got a little bit which of some people and, call a blood moon. So it's a super blue blood moon. And, yeah, well, right. and, and what, that hasn't happened in 150 years? Yeah, it's been a while since. Yeah. And, you know, some of these terms like supermoon or, you know, it's not it's it's not scientifically that big a deal. It's just that the moon is a little – because the moon's orbit is not perfectly circular. It's kind of squished out. So sometimes it's closer to Earth and sometimes further away. And so when it's a little bit closer, it you know, the closer something is, the bigger and the brighter it looks. Absolutely. And so um, – so it's, it's just it's kind of a neat coincidence. The the eclipse itself is until the morning of the 31st. And so, you know, wherever you live in Arizona, you can go outside. Um, the, the eclipse starts, you know, just a little chigger bite is taken out of the moon at 3.51 in the morning. And then totality starts at 5.51, and the maximum totality is at 6.30. And so, um, and then it ends at, totality ends at 7.07, and then and it goes back to being full. But um, it's not horrible. Like, you don't have to get up at 1 o'clock. <laughs> no. Um, you know? I no, mean, with totality. Most getting up in the morning, you can get up, and, and the moon will be low on the horizon, but you'll still be able to see it eclipsed. That's so cool. Well, Kevin, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share with all of our Arizona listeners what's going on up at Lowell Observatory. Thanks a million. Well, this is, Go well, ahead. We've had a great time, and thanks. Um, and, and um, you know, any more questions, we have our website, and you can contact us that way or give us a call. Well, next, next time I'm up on the property, I'm going to hunt you down, and I certainly appreciate you joining us this morning. Well, great talking with you. Thanks. Okay, man. Thank you. I love that place. And and I don't get there, I don't make the time to get there as often as I'd like to. Just being that awe-inspired is good for the soul, I think. And I think sometimes living in, in the valley, we forget how many stars. You know, don't take the time to walk out because there's not that much to see. You get up there and it just takes your breath away. It comes alive, that's for sure. And And I've been infatuated with space, like I say, ever since my parents took me to the Space Center below Houston 
and and I just knew I wanted to become an astronaut. I just knew that was my calling in life. And then Dad yeah. showed me the space capsule and says, "Well, you're going to be in there." And then you found out it was more than three hours, and you knew you couldn't do it. <laughs> I said, okay, well, I'm not going to be an astronomer. If I can't get there in my F-250, I'm just not going to get there. Uh, but boy, you'll cheer them on. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it feels like strapped into that thing, and they say, "Lift off." They've Can trained you, astronauts there at Lowell. Did you know they, that? Every astronaut from every space shuttle mission has been to Lowell Observatory. So it it's, represents it's a big deal. It represents a very special place in the world of astronomy, that's for sure. One of my favorite movies, The Right Stuff. The Right mm-hmm. Stuff. It, I mean, I can watch that. I know it's a four-hour epic. I could watch it for <laughs> three or four times. It's it's an incredible film. All right, folks, we'll be right back. Y'all stay tuned. I want to talk to y'all a little bit more about this soul, this this lunar event that's going to be happening the end of this month, and how you might be able to get a very very special training opportunity about it. Stay tuned. We were just talking through some of our favorite space movies. You mentioned The Right Stuff. Of course, there's Apollo 13. Oh, pretty, even, oh. pretty good flick, right? Well, my weekend's done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, we I've always enjoyed Space Cowboys with James Gardner and Clint Eastwood and... Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones and... Donald Sutherland. Yeah, that I thought that was always a pretty funny movie. But that soundtrack you just played, 2001, that had to be the first space movie I saw. Yes, yeah, that was... Um, 2001. 2001, space A Space Odyssey. Odyssey. Yeah. yeah, it's considered a classic. What was the robot's name? What was the... Hal. Hal, that's right. We don't want to do that, Hal. <laughs> well, we were just visiting in the last hour with the historian from Lowell Observatory up in Flagstaff. We're, we're featuring Flagstaff activities and, and uh, landmark locations here in this month because our staycation winner, the Arizona Rosie on the House Sanderson Ford staycation winner, is going to Flagstaff here in, the, I think it's the third weekend in January. We've got him staying at the beautiful Little America Hotel. 500 which, acres, that that. Property well, campus, really mm-hmm. full of ponderosa pines and little walkways and beautiful rooms. They've revamped the entire place. It's gorgeous. J- Jennifer and I actually spent our honeymoon at the Little America. It was brand new then. <laughs> yeah, it was. Well, it looks brand new now. It's gorgeous. They've really done a nice job, and just you just can't lose. It's just right outside Flagstaff, and really re- refreshing, nice setting. It's a it's a, a beautiful area. Let me talk a little bit about something outside of Flagstaff just for a minute. Mm-hmm. This super moon that's coming up January 31st. You know we won't have a full moon in the month of February because it's cramming itself into the second full moon of January, which then it becomes a blue moon. Two full moons in one month. That's what a blue moon is? That's what a blue moon. Every, you know, every once once in a a blue blue moon. moon, Got it. So a blue moon is two full moons in one month. Okay. Now a blood moon is a full lunar eclipse. 
that turns kind of red. And that is not an astronomer's term. That's a media term. Because well, I thought maybe it was a rosy Because term. it's just kind of dramatic. You know, the astronomers don't use that term, strictly speaking. I guess they don't use supermoon either. But it is a supermoon as well. It puts it closer in orbit to us in its full phase than normal. So it's about 20% brighter than normal. It's going to be 100% total eclipsed. And it's a blue moon. And it's a time of day you can enjoy it. And it's a time of day you can see it. And if you want to learn more about it, there isn't going to be any other better classroom than aboard the Dolly Steamboat at Canyon Lake on January 27th with Dr. Sky. You've got to get to the website, dollysteamboat.com. Scroll down to the Astronomy Dinner Cruise on Canyon Lake, click on the calendar, and make your reservations for January 27th. That also happens to be Dr. Sky's birthday. Birthday cruise. He yeah, loves his yeah, birthday that's, cruise. That's his birthday cruise. He, he is thinking about trying to set up a video of his recent trip for the full solar eclipse that he went up uh, to uh, South Dakota or Wyoming or Idaho to watch. Uh, he was there for that event. So you're going to be able to have an extra special education experience. And this, we have taken entire families on this. This is, this is like, like Kevin Schlinder was talking about. You know, he brings it down to where everybody can understand it. And Dr. Sky is great about talking at a family education experience. At a good pace and, and understandable. And he takes that big old laser and points right out in the sky to see. He's got tell a, you what you're looking at. He's got a laser flashlight that must go 50 miles. Well, it's licensed. I mean, it's a big deal. Yeah. And uh, it and it's cool. And he just kind of points and says, now see that star right there? And He's a he, great storyteller. He is. And before is. the stars come out, you get to see the animals come down to water as well. Yeah, if you're we, lucky, you see yes, bighorn sheep. We were able to see bighorn sheep on one of our ventures. So get to dollysteamboat.com. That's the website for the boat that they keep on Canyon Lake. And uh, stroll down, scroll down to the Astronomy Dinner Cruise and book your seat for January 27th. I'm sure this is a tour and a cruise that's going to fill up quickly. So back to Flagstaff now. So Miss Maggie won this staycation by sponsored by Sanderson Ford, where she gets to go pick up her cool. car at Sanderson Ford and go away for the weekend. And she's staying at the Little America Hotel, which we just talked about. She's staying at, um, she, and then she has a uh, pass, gift card to go to Babbitt's Backcountry Outfitters. They're right there in downtown Flagstaff, 12 East Aspen Avenue. Beautiful shop. And they, um, they're a gear shop, but they're also known for their honest advice and timely suggestions. All the people there are passionate about getting outside. They can direct her on where to go and get outside and enjoy the area. Anything from hiking to climbing to cycling. I mean, they've got they it all rent, right there. They, you yeah. can rent there. You can buy there. You can take classes. It's a pretty incredible place. Also, she will have a gift basket by Cactus Candy. And they specialize in prickly pear candies and jellies and all kinds of great stuff. Fantastic. And coming up in the 8 o'clock hour, we have Farm Fresh. First Saturday in the month of the first Saturday in the month during the year 2018, we have the Arizona Farm Bureau, and we'll be talking about what's in harvest now. And at Citrus, we have the Justice Brothers Ranch that'll be joining us with the Arizona Farm Bureau right after this. Awesome.